Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you hit that subscribe button and I hope you're digging what we're doing here. Lord knows I've been digging what I've been doing lately, including getting all these new five-star reviews for helping people do what I love the most. No, not talking about old wrestling, but that's second I'm talking about helping families just like yours save tens of thousands of dollars at SaveWithConrad.com. Is what we're talking about. We would love to help you save some cash right now. If you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, there's never been a better time to save money than right now. Just passed my 19 year anniversary in the mortgage business. And I've never been able to offer rates as low as I can right now. I've also never been licensed in as many States. If you can hear my voice, there's a good chance I'm licensed in your state and it's free to find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months, but don't take my word for it. Just ask Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He gave us a five-star review and said, fantastic service, great attention to detail, simple and easy process. How about over in Perryton, Texas, Jarrell says Conrad, David, and Jennifer were complete professionals. And I had recommended them already to a couple. I couldn't put them over more if I tried. Thank you again for helping us out in a major way. I won't forget it. What about up in Gallatin, Texas? William gave us a five star and he says, Jimmy did a fine job keeping me informed, working through a couple of unique things involving our original loan. Would be sure to recommend this fine team to anyone. How about Christina moving down from New York City? Yep, she wrote, as first time home buyers coming from out of state, naturally this is a very stressful process, but Save with Conrad was a blessing. The entire team is helpful, courteous, and just made the entire experience so much easier and more pleasant than it could have been. I can't thank Save with Conrad enough. Thank you for everything you've done for my family. The reviews keep on coming, guys. Five-star reviews, one after another. You're going to save a boatload of cash if you're in a 30-year loan. We're going to show you how to pay your house off faster and with cheaper monthly payments. Maybe you've been throwing your money away on rent. You don't need a huge down payment or perfect credit to buy a house. We can help you make it happen right now. And maybe best of all, if you've got credit card debt, I can save you five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention interest rates in the twos? Can't believe that's real, but just last week we locked a bunch of new loans with interest rates in the twos. My only advice to you is hurry. Barry Habib is the foremost expert on interest rates. You've probably seen him on every cable news service. Just last week, he advised that we're on borrowed time with these rates. The time to act is now. Get ahead of this. You're going to be kicking yourself. You missed this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Keep more of your own money. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now before it's too late. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. 
Interest-free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you this morning? <laughs> well, is it technically still really, really, really late night or is it, I guess it is the morning. We're, we're here just after 1am doing what we can to bring you a something to wrestle. Of course, last week, uh, Bruce was busier than a one-armed paper hanger. So we had to do a a best of, but we're back in the saddle again this week, Bruce. And Hey, somehow, some way we found a way to make it happen this week. We did. Well, I gotta, I gotta do a shout out to, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Mike Kolb, K O L B from crown point, Indiana, who I, uh, my sister came in today with a big box and, she was like, I don't know what the hell it is, but it's heavy. <laughs> and it was a box full of blood orange mango soapy water, bitches. And it just made my day. I got to fill my refrigerator up there in my office with some good uh, blood orange mango soapy water. But then when I came home tonight, I'm able to enjoy what Lenny Bakken sent me. My good friend Lenny from Edward Jones that sent me a nice box of soapy water. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You got Lenny not only handling your money, but he's handling your blood orange soapy water searches as well. God bless him. Well, you know what? I don't even feel a little bad for making you record at 1 a.m. You got your damn blood orange mango fernum schnavitz. You should be good to go. And I've had two hours sleep in the last 48 hours. So fuck me. Right? Exactly. I mean, you got your drink. Why are you still bitching? 
didn't know I was bitching. I was thanking people. I was giving <laughs> a shout out to Mike and Lenny. Well, I'm glad that somebody loves you and still cares about you. You know, it's got to make you feel Somebody good. does. I agree. Somebody who may or may not after today is our subject today. We were supposed to get him last week. A little late, better than a little never. Rick, the model Martell. It's going to be a fun one. He held a uh, major championship in the heyday of the 1980s for almost 19 months. He was a roommate to Hulk Hogan. He drove up and down the road with Shawn Michaels. And well, according to the rumor and innuendo, he was even involved in a bit of a bidding war in the late nineties during the Monday night war. Lots to unpack today with Rick Martell. Uh, he was born on March 18th, 1956 in Quebec city. He grew up in a family of wrestlers and described himself as a big time pro wrestling fan. Even growing up much like you, Bruce, he idolized Jack Briscoe and around the age of 12, his big brother, also a wrestler began to bring him to some of the matches and he knew right away he wanted to be in the wrestling business. And boy, that's something you can identify with, right? I mean, this is the first and only job you ever wanted to, right? Absolutely. And Martel was one of those guys It's funny when you talk about Jack Briscoe, because uh, I will try and find it, but about 1973, 74 ish, um, Martel came to Texas and the caption that Paul used in the program was Martel looks a lot like Briscoe because they, they look similar, had similar body type and both, you know, young, good looking, uh, baby face, fiery baby face. So Martel was often compared to Jack Briscoe and he had that came from that mold of, uh, just baby face, fiery baby face that promoters love to have, man. Cause he could, Draw him in by God. Let's, uh, let's keep going here. He's going to get his chance in June of 73. He breaks in the business when his brother, uh, which I would think when you look at it would look like it would be pronounced Michael, but in fact, it's, I believe it's pronounced Michelle, uh, called and told him a wrestler had been injured and a replacement was needed. Rick was still an amateur in school, not trained professionally. Kayfabe was very strict, obviously in 73 baby faces and heels never spoke. And Rick couldn't even talk to his brother because he was a baby face and his brother was a heel, but he made it work that year. And he wrestled over the summer and he went back to school that fall. And after one day at age 17, he just decided to quit. The wrestling bug had bit him that bad. And he told the principal he was done. This is not advisable these days, boys and girls. Would you agree, Bruce? I would agree. I would say, go on out there and get your education by God and do right. And then decide what the hell you're going to do for the rest of it. But I won. I didn't do it, but, uh, I will preach to this day, get your education. Well, what you didn't do was get a college degree, but come on, man. You got to at least finish high school. Well. I did that. Yes, I did do that. <laughs> Still, I'm just saying kids stay in school, mate. From 72 to 80, Rick is all over the territories. Obviously this is sort of the heyday for them. Uh, but he's going far and wide, man, New Zealand, Japan, Hawaii, Puerto Rico. And of course, Stu Hart stampede wrestling. What do you think that conversation would have sounded like Bruce? Yeah, he's the, 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 the
is uh, that is gay. Then you call him Michael, you fucking Michelle. I don't know. What's your brother doing? Uh, he can come in here and uh, I got I got the uh, uh, Brett. Uh, he's a kid, uh, but uh, yeah, he'll, he'll do good with you. Get him, get him in uh, in here. In December of 77, Rick gets a chance to work with the world champion Harley race in Australia and, uh, the finish, and this was a finish back then, uh, is a delayed vertical suplex. Harley picks up the win and Martel didn't really think much of the loss, but then Harley had the match taped and it wound being shown all over the States. And you would think in this era that might've hurt Rick, but Rick would say it actually had the opposite effect. It actually helped him. I know that seems sort of silly, but back in the day, you know, you didn't see a lot of clean finishes like that with two sort of up and coming guys or two big name talents. It was mostly enhancement matches, right? Well, it was a guy. And I think that from Harley's point of view, Rick was somebody who could work and had a hell of a match with to showcase both of their talents. And it's no crime to win or lose or anything else. And especially when you're losing to the world heavyweight champion, it did nothing but showcase Martel's talents to promoters that would say, fuck, I want that kid. He was able to work a hell of a match with the champion. And yes, Harley could work with a broomstick, but at the same time, Rick was no broomstick and made it even that much better. The next year, uh, his brother, Michelle Martel at age 30. Michelle Mabel, conte puti se canche Yeah, that's a Beatles song. Michelle Mabel. Well, it's going to be awkward to follow that up because he died in a match in Puerto Rico. Uh, this is probably something that I should have known, Bruce, but I had no idea that Rick had a brother in wrestling before him. And that that fellow passed away in a ring at age 30. Yeah. In Puerto Rico. And it was, uh, when you, you go back and you look at the, the history then, and you look at some of the guys that have headlined Puerto Rico from Frenchie Martin to Martel, it was a lot of the French Canadians made their name, uh, in Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon. It was a tough place to work, but it was, you know, shit. Um, unfortunately, very tragic. Rick actually told the Huffington post quote in the seventies, there were so many riots, people fighting. My brother had been shot. When you wrestle in Puerto Rico, you had to fight your way out of there. Many times tough things happened to heels back then. People want waiting for the heels, fighting them at the bars. People would want to try you. In Puerto Rico, my brother passed away after a wrestling match on the way to the hospital. Puerto Rico was one of the toughest places in the world to wrestle. I got to tell you, man, when you hear stories, not, not just that one, but obviously the more famous Brody one that probably everyone listening to this is familiar with. It's not a wonder that so many talents never wanted to wrestle in Puerto Rico. I mean, would you have wanted to do that? Well, I think that also at the same time, you also have to weigh that against guys that did want to work there because it was 
an island where you could go and it was kind of a vacation spot if you were just going in to do spots in San Juan and the money was good. So yes, there were a few tragedies there and yes, it could be a tough place to work as a heel, but I don't know that it was any tougher place to work than Louisville, Kentucky on a hot, you know, on a hot finish or Houston, Texas, when you shot a hot finish and people are coming off from down from the rafters to get a piece of you. Rick Martell's really going to gain some traction in Portland, working for Pacific Northwest wrestling in 79, uh, PNW was an NWA affiliated territory and he held multiple titles there and he eventually leaves in the second half of 80, but it's while he's here in Portland that he gets the call from Vince McMahon senior, who'd seen him on Atlantis TV. And Martell says that Vince wanted him to come to the WWF and told him to call him back when he was ready to come to New York. And a few months later, sure enough, Martell called him back. And it's worth noting that Rick describes Vince senior as the man he enjoyed working for the most in his wrestling career, quote, true to his word. Once he said something, he went through that path and you don't have to worry from week to week that he may change his mind. He debuted on July 8th, 1980 from Allentown, Pennsylvania, picking up a win over the uh, hall of famer. Johnny Rods. It's a sunset flip that gets it done, and he's wrestling throughout July for the company. Bruce, back in '80, you were just a big wrestling fan. Chat me up. What uh, what were you hearing, and, and what were you thinking about Rick Martel? Because I'm sure you heard about him, or saw tape of him, or certainly saw him in the magazines, right? Well, yeah, we had seen him in Houston. He had actually worked the territory uh, for Dallas in Houston, so I'd seen Martel. Uh, work live and Rick now was coming through New York and I think he was teaming with Tony Gurria at the time and two young good looking baby faces and that's always good to have on the card and you know the thing about Vince Sr. which Vince did it what was unique to Vince Sr. is when you came in and you started with Vince you started and for the most part you also had your ending date the day that you started. So you knew when you were going to start, you knew how long you were going to be there. You had a general idea of how much money you would make, but you also knew when it was going to come to an end and you would work your way into the territory, get over, and then you'd work your way out of the territory. And that was one way that Vince was able to keep that talent fresh all the time coming through there. Obviously the top guys, like Bruno, we're able to stay there for a long time. Uh, Bob Backlund, Pat Patterson as a heel was able to stay and have a run, not only as a heel, but also a baby face and later on an announcer. But that was the uniqueness of New York was that you went in, you knew when you started, when you were going to end. There's no better time to say, I love you. And the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step. Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently He's kicked everything up a notch to better service friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call 
to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Well, Rick's going to end here in uh, the Pacific Northwest Territory on August 16th. He's going to lose a loser leaves town match to Buddy Rose. We've spent a little bit of time talking about Portland and, and Don Owen, but maybe some of our listeners haven't heard some of your opinions on the territory and him as a promoter. Well, Don Owens was a, was a stand-up guy. Don was one of those handful of promoters that the talent had a great deal of respect for. He didn't always make a ton of money in Portland, certainly more than Memphis, but, uh, you had steady work. There was his brother. I think his brother's name was Elton Owen, uh, or no, it was, ah, shit. I think it was think it was Elton, but he, uh, used to have the shooters championship and he would give the guys, he'd pick two guys, uh, for example, in Eugene, Oregon, go out. Okay. This is the shoot of the night. And whoever won the match would get 25 bucks bonus. The guy still went, went out there and worked the match and just split the bonus. So it could be a fun place to work. And, and Paul Pershman, uh, more famously known as Playboy Buddy Rose, without a doubt, had one hell of a fucking run in Portland. Talk to us a little bit about Johnny Rods. It's a name that we hear a lot. Of course, I think he trained D'Lo Brown and a bunch of other guys along the way. But he's a WWE Hall of Famer, and I think, and maybe I've got this wrong, but maybe once upon a time, whereas and we've talked about this a lot in the new generation era, Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, sort of became the the barometer of, hey, this new talent is he legit? Can he go, or maybe not so much? Well, Johnny was a tough son of a bitch, man. And Johnny was, I think what a lot of people would refer to as a journeyman, right? But he was a, he was a journeyman that, uh, settled in the Northeast and was a New Yorker. Um, he had gone, done some stuff in Japan. He ventured out and was, uh, Java Rook in Los Angeles won the every year in, in LA at the Olympic auditorium, they would have this huge battle Royal. And the guy that won the battle Royal was the anointed one. And that was who they were going to feature and, you know, uh, get behind for the immediate future. And they brought in Java Rook. who was Johnny rods. He won the battle Royal. And then he, he left shortly thereafter. He, California wasn't for him. He went back to New York. So was he sort of Vince senior's Waltman, his sort of, I, you know, I, I think a lot of times that gets, you know, that becomes folklore. Uh, just Johnny rods was a tough guy that if you can't have a match, with Johnny rods, the chances are you can't have a match with anybody. Right. And Johnny would, would put them through their paces and Johnny would push guys to see just how much they could take. So 
you know, there's a lot of guys like that that uh, you can put a talent with and watch and see, okay, how do they handle themselves with this? And Rods was definitely one of those guys could work with anybody and also a great trainer. Rick Martell in 1980 starts working against the wild Samoans and he's got various partners here, but then he finally settles in with Tony Gurria for whatever reason, it just seemed to click. And Rick says that his style blended with Tony's and had similar moves and Martell had a lot of fire and they still have a good relationship. Um, this is kind of a cool thing because I'll be honest. I didn't know much about Rick's first run here, but in November of 80 at a house show at the spectrum in Philly, Gurria and Rick Martell beat the wild Samoans to become the tag champs. And that's not something that was even on my radar, man. When I think about him, I think of him with Tito and then later as the model. But, uh, what do you think of that tag team? Cause I have to admit, I never saw it of him wow, and Tony Gurria. Good Lord. Yeah. Hell of a tag team it, because they had a similar look. They wore the blue tights with the, the red band around the waist and then a red stripe on the side. So they, they dressed like a team. They wrestled like a team and just got over like a million bucks and Tony and, and Martel, it was very, very similar to Tito and Martel. They clicked as a tag team and really got over in the Northeast. He's he's working with, uh, quite the array of talent here. I mean, Fuji and Saito and, um, the moon dogs tag wrestling in 1980 was wild. Was it not? Well, it was a little different. I think that there was your share, especially in the Northeast at that time of gimmicks, Rex and spot, the moon dogs were a unique looking pair. You also had the executioners, killer Kowalski and big John stud, of course, the Samoans often Sika and Saito and Fuji. So it was, there was definitely a plethora of great talent to work with. He's even going to wind up doing some special tags with Andre, the giant, which I guess since they both speak French, maybe made sense. I know we're sort of skipping. What was their relationship like? Did you know Andre and Rick to be big pals? They were good friends. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, Andre would go to folks that spoke the same language and where he was able to communicate in his native tongue a little bit better. So Martel was fluent in French Canadian and, uh, Andre was French. So they were able to communicate. He becomes really good friends with Bob Backlund here. Uh, he also enjoys the party scene in the 1980s in New York city. And he says it was unlike anything else he'd ever seen. And he even says that, uh, there's a fun story of him being in a bar in Florida with your old pal, Jerry Briscoe and Bob Backlund in tow. And a big guy comes over and challenges all the wrestlers to arm wrestle. And eventually Backlund agrees and slams the guy's hand instantly. And then proceeds to painfully slam his hand over and over into the table and just beat his knuckles bloody until he yells, are you going to leave us alone now? And that is something so out of character from my perception of what Bob Backlund was. Did you ever see Bob ever really get hot like that in real life? Thank God. No, because Bob, if you were to push Bob too far, um, really quiet, very respectful, nice guy. 
But if you were to push him too far, man, he could do just about anything that he wanted to to you. And there was only so much that Bob was going to take. So I say that to say that I've seen him the light switch turn. Um, but thank God I never I never got to see it um, completely turn on all the way to where Bob did something about it. I think that people that knew anything about Bob Backlund realized you're only going to be able to push him so far. Believe it or not, the next, as we know, the next big world champion here for the company is going to be Hulk Hogan. But Martel even worked with him during this run. But here, Hulk Hogan in the WWWF is a heel and both went to Minneapolis around the same time as well. Martel's going to stay with Hogan and become his roommate during that period. And I guess he's, uh, probably in the spot that Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake would have been in normal circumstances, but this is where Hulk, you know, really becomes a superstar in the AWA and that's before Rocky three comes out. And, uh, they have a good relationship. And Rick says that Hogan never changed. Even when he became a big star, he was the same guy and always handled him the same way. It's just so amazing to me that we're not even to the part of his career that I'm familiar with. And he's done a lot. Has he not? Yeah. Rick was, had a hell of a career. And the other thing that you'll find in all this, I I don't know, uh, anybody I don't know of anybody that would have anything bad to say about Rick Martell either. He was a class guy. He dealt with everybody the same and he was a very friendly guy. Um, I've never had a problem with the guy. Nick Bockwinkle is the guy who helped recruit, uh, Rick Martell away from the WWF to come work for the AWA. And he was not happy. Uh, Martell said he just did not enjoy working for Vern Gagne. And he even described it as going from silk to sandpaper when you're comparing working from Vince senior to Vern. And he says that his experience was Vern was always bitter and yelling at everybody. He wasn't happy with the money or the days he worked. Um, it was just not in a good mood, but you know, Martel did enjoy the matches and he did enjoy his pay. Just didn't exactly click with Vern. I feel like usually when people talk about working for Vern though, Maybe I'm way off base and maybe some of this has changed since he's passed away, but it feels like people talk about him in glowing terms. Is that really just if you, if they were trained yeah. by him that, that I'm hearing I, that mostly, or is that just changed yeah, since he passed away? I don't even know that many people that were trained by him that would speak of Vern in glowing terms. I'm sure there, yes, there are definitely people that, that do, but I think for the most part, the guys that work for him underneath and the, uh, the talent that was not Vern's guys, you know what I mean? Uh, that, that he did train or that had been in Minneapolis forever. Uh, Vern could be tough to work with from all the stories that I've heard through, through the years. Most of the former wrestlers that became promoters or, and had their own territories, uh, kind of like the Sheik, kind of like uh, Dick the Bruiser and Vern. Roy Shires out in San Francisco, they, they had a reputation for not always treating talent in the way that talent would prefer to be treated. And I think they, uh, fancy Bill Watts, you know, they, they could yeah. be bullies and, and 
try to be tough guys. So Vern, man, I, I remember listening to Bobby Heenan and Jack Lanza just um, tell horror stories about working for Vern. Well, I guess I've maybe been listening to too much Eric Bischoff lately. Uh, let's talk about the next big sort of fork. That's in your the, fault. Probably. Uh, let's talk about the next big fork in the road for Rick. He's got an opportunity. He's not really happy with the AWA. He's going to get back to Montreal, but then he gets the call that Vern says, Hey, I was planning on putting the belt on you. And he'd even been booked on a tour with Andre by Vince senior. So he felt like, man, I could go do the Montreal thing and go to Japan, but I kind of would like a chance to be the top guy. So he makes the difficult choice to stay with the AWA, which probably upset Vince even further. And he says he even remembers Vince McMahon that we know junior, even though he's not a junior, uh, calling him personally to ask him to reconsider, but Martel lays it out that, you know, it's a world title run versus a tour of Japan with Andre. And as we know, on May 13th, 1984, Rick Martel became the AWA world champion. It is sort of fun to think about though, you know, what if? He'd have came over right then. He could have been a part of the whole rock and wrestling thing. And I don't know. It feels like he had some leverage right there to do something, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. If you had to fantasy book, what do you think that would have looked like? Martel going over. In I think that, I think that Rick would have been in the role, very similar to what Tito Santana was in. I don't think that Rick wouldn't have been the champion. Um, and that was something that Vern had. And I think that Vern looked at Rick as an attraction and different from what they had had in the past with, you know, Nick Bockwinkle and Vern being the champions. They I think they had already done the experiment with Otto Vons, but it was uh, maybe Otto came a little bit later. Um, but I don't think, and I, I know from Vern's point of view, uh, at least later, that you know, Rick may not have been the right guy to, to put the world championship on. Not that he wasn't a good champion or anything like that, but it didn't, it didn't really do anything to spark the crowds and to make any big difference, which I think they were trying to do. Martel's going to, uh, win the world title here in the AWA with Steve Austin's old move, the stun gun followed by a cross body block off the ropes. And, uh, this is the era where everything was sort of called in the ring In the aftermath after the win, he's interrupted by Bobby, the brain Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle, and they're going to demand a title shot for Nick. And, uh, it's kind of fun to see this because, you know, you get to see Bobby Heenan and, and the future model here. And you even see Ken Resnick, I think is the guy doing the interview who we're going to see later in the WWF. It's just remarkable how much talent went through the AWA that went right through Vern's fingers. They did, but they were also, you know, I think for, uh, Vern didn't see that, right. You know, Vern, Vern wanted a wrestler's wrestler because that's what Vern was. And I think that everybody that Vern had in his territory to some degree, he wanted them to be modeled after his model. And a, a lot of former wrestlers uh, will do that. They, they want somebody what they had, 
you know, that wrestler's wrestler. That's what worked in the Midwest and for the AWA. Nick Bockwinkle uh, was a, an intelligent heel, great world champion, and, and could work with anybody and everybody. But then it just was, it was different. And a guy like Hulk Hogan comes in and gets over because he is so radically different than anything else that had been presented at that time. So Vern doesn't know exactly what the hell to do with it. Right. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenge to the norm. NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four, equal housing lender. Woo. Save with Conrad.com. Just helped a family just like yours secure an interest rate in the twos. For a mortgage, you're overpaying right now if you're in a 30-year loan or if you have an interest rate in the threes, fours, fives, sixes. What are you waiting for? Keep more of your own money before it's too late. Just last week, the experts started to advise that we might be on borrowed time with these interest rates. Take advantage of these rates while we've still got them and find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Well, here's something that, uh, oh, before we get to that, let me mention, he's, he's working with uh, Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, Mr. Saito, Jimmy Garvin, King Tonga, Bill Robinson, a lot of guys, but really as 85 is getting going, he's working a lot with Jim Garvin and on June 9th, 1985, believe it or not, it looks like Rick Martel is going to lose his world title to of all people, Michael PS Hayes, but wouldn't you know it? The damn decision was reversed. So Martel's the champ. Dude, 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 dude. He's uh, going to work a lot with Michael Hayes over the summer. And surprisingly enough, although that feels like that would be styles clash, uh, Rick had a good time working with the free bird. Michael PS Hayes working singles is not exactly something I would have thought would have been, uh, I don't know the right fit for him in 84. What do you remember about, you know, Michael having a singles run His working punch fucking hurt. Jesus Christ, I'd rather have him fucking haul off and just punch me in the mouth as hard as he could because his fucking working punches were brutal. Um, but look, man, Michael, we, we always give Michael a hard time. Yes, we do. He's not, the, he's not the greatest worker in the world, but he was, without a doubt, one of the greatest talkers in the world and had charisma out the ass that knew how to talk people into a building. Right. So, you know, some of the, the quote, oh my God, 470,000 stars in the Tokyo Dome. Oh, and one time they were in Ashikoshi Yoki Dewey and they had this match and it went 49 minutes. And there, we stop there. Well, no, hang on. It's a, it's a different, it's a different of, well, the guys can do a bunch of moves and different things. Michael knew how to work and Michael knew how to draw. Yeah. So that's the difference. He could talk Drawing them into the seats for sure. Business. Yes, he, he, he could. And he did. Well, he's going to wind up, uh, he being Rick Martell pronouns, pal, working with Boris Zukov, Jerry Lawler, Larry Zabisco, some pretty notable opponents, but perhaps none bigger than October 21st, 1985. This went down in Tokyo, Japan, and it's decided to have an AWA versus an NWA world title match. Rick Martell on one side, Rick Flair on the other. And, uh, Martel said he had a lot of respect for flair and what he did. And he thought they had a great match. And of course, after 34 minutes, both men are counted out, but still that's kind of a big deal. That's almost like after mag level stuff there. Is it not? Yeah, it was, 
from time to time, different promoters like Eddie Graham in, in Florida. Uh, Vince did it in New York where they had the champion versus champion stuff. And it was always heralded as is big deal until after a while. The after mags, I think, in my opinion, at least from a wrestling fan, uh, you didn't have the the rag sheets and gossip column sheets and shit at that time. So you read what you read in the, the magazines. Every champion versus champion match like that ended in uh, either a time limit draw, a count out, or a double disqualification. There was never a finish. Never a finish. And But for the market, for the individual market, that that worked when word got out at least and i'm probably in the minority because everybody didn't read wrestling magazines um and it's it's a small vocal minority to me it was like ah you know they're not gonna they're not gonna unify the titles they're not gonna you're just wondering what double finish they're going to do on this match right still it was great to watch the, the champions go at it well, he's going to get tired of being champion. He's going to hold the belt for about a year and a half. And he says he's tired of working for Vern, who he felt like was making things difficult for no reason. Uh, but the real reason I'm sure is Vern's losing market share. Vince is expanding and taking over. And Martel just believes as a result, Vern was an awful boss. And he starts being programmed to work with Stan Hansen. He wants off the roller coaster. He works a series of matches with Hanson and always found himself with some extra bruises and bumps he hadn't planned for. But on December 29th at the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey, Martell drops the title to Hanson. Listen, depending on who you believe, some people say, oh, it's not Stan's fault. He was just blind as a bat. And then your old pal JBL sometimes questions that like maybe Stan Hanson was just a sadist and like to hurt motherfuckers. Let's say you. I think it's a combination of both, but Stan was the type of guy that if you fought him and hit him back as hard as he hit you, he would loosen up and work with you. <laughs> so, you know, I think that Stan would just want to get in there and see, all right, what you got in, kid? Are you going to fight me back? And if you fight me back, then we can go out and have a match. If not, I'm going to fucking guzzle you. And a lot of old timers were like that, but that worked for Stan and Stan was a unique talent, but yeah, he was, he was blind as a bat. It's like Duggan. I don't think Duggan has a mean bone in his body. I mean, he could, but you know, Jim Duggan's a great guy right. and a hell of an attraction, but Jim was blind as a bat. And when Jim would, fucking swing that two by four. It was up to you to get out of the way. Right. And how you were going to take it. Sometimes Jim would throw those clotheslines and shit and just be off a little bit. He didn't do it. I I know Duggan didn't do it to say, Hey, hit me back or anything. It's just Jim sometimes would misjudge, but same time uh, on the other side of it, he was a hell of a worker too. So Stan was Stan, but yeah, Stan will rough you up if you uh, let him. Well, let's talk about what's next. You know, once Martel's done with the AWA, uh, he says Dino Bravo had part ownership with Gino Brito in the Montreal territory 
and he goes to work with Bravo despite hearing some negative things ahead of time about working in the territory and with Dino specifically. But he said he enjoyed it and actually wanted to buy in. And he had some some booking experience from working in Hawaii with Peter Maivia. Let's take a time out right there and talk about two things. One, how common was it for one of the quote unquote boys to help with some of the booking in a territory like Peter Maivia let Martel do along the way? It would it would really depend on the territory, and a lot of times that. Um the owner of the territory would either be the booker, but they would bring someone in to help them with the book. For example, Fritz von Erich in Dallas. Fritz booked a lot of his own stuff, but he brought Gary Hart in to to book the programs and, and to bring the talent in and what have you. And guys had their different crews. So if someone had had talent or showed initiative, in that area, there were a lot of promoters that would say, Hey, well, shit, sit out with me and let's, let's write some TV and, and help me book some of the towns. And who do you know that might fit in and work here real well. And just like that, they're off to the races or maybe not so much because he doesn't actually wind up doing anything here in Montreal, uh, or it doesn't last very long rather, because by early 86, he's headed back to the then WWF. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Montreal and I have to admit until I saw dark side of the ring last year, and I didn't really know very much at all about the territory other than the fact that there was one. What do you, what can you share with us about the Montreal territory that maybe we hadn't touched on before? You know, I, I really don't know all that much about it. It was just another territory and there was Toronto and then there was Montreal and that was, you know, the, the French Canadian side of, of the business up there on the Eastern Canadian side, but it was kind of, uh, how do you say this? Uh, they were very territorial right? Uh, by, they had their guys and they liked to use the French Canadians are very loyal people and they love their own. Right. And they're, they're very, at least my experience has been they're very anti-American and anti-anyone else that isn't French-Canadian. Well, yeah, maybe not anti, just a huge... No, they're pr- fucking anti. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to help a little bit and say maybe it was just pride of, you know, they're just proud of their country. They really are. And it's actually one of, <clears throat> it's one of those things that you can't fault them for because they are proud of their country. But sometimes it can be... If you are an American that does not speak French and is French Canadian, particularly, um, it was a tough place to, to be. If you didn't have someone with you to kind of grease the wheels, if you will, in French. Let's talk about him coming back to the WWF. He says he has a secret meeting planned and he's going to take a plane to meet Vince jr. Who's the boss at this point, of course. And Martel says that he suggests the Can-Am connection with Tom Zink. Zink had just worked with Martel in Montreal and he had taken a liking to him. And Dino, of course, is hot when he hears about the secret meeting. Of course, he ends up in the company in 86 as well. Um, these secret trips, these have become legendary over the years. 
you know, we're not going to tell anybody we're going to go have the private meeting with Vince. And it feels like nine times out of 10 Vince got his man, right? Well, secret meetings, the, you didn't want the guy that you're working for know that you're going to go meet with another promoter. Right. And that was just common sense out of any, anything. I don't know that it was as much cloak and dagger as a lot of people would like to romanticize about. It was, you know, a meeting. They go out to dinner and meet somewhere and talk and discuss business. But if that didn't work out, you never wanted the guy that you're we're currently working with to know that, hey, this guy's over here trying to get a job in New York. And that's, you know, where the clandestine meetings and all this stuff come into play. So Rick is back with the WWF. He's going to be on superstars making his TV debut, at least on October 28th, 1986. He's still tagging with Tom Zink here. They're going to pick up a win over Steve Lombardi and ironically enough, moon dog spot his old pal, or maybe not so much. This is the, um, the first time that superstars of wrestling had the superstars of wrestling banner and the WWF banner hung from the rafters. I know that's a random piece of trivia, but we get questions about this all the time. I think a lot of fans grew up with those rafters hanging from the ceiling and for whatever reason, they just went out of fashion with Vince over the years, I assume. Well, Trons and electronics and what have you kind of took over, uh, WrestleMania signs, giant electric lit up signs are much more impressive than the wrestling challenge and wrestling superstar Saturday night main event banners that used to hang and be lit strategically across the arena. And it was at this time that they had made the decision that we are, we're no longer going to do TV and Hamburg, Pennsylvania and what have you. We are now going to tour. We're going to go out and we're going to do our television show all over the country. And that was the syndicated properties. And they had a look that was very specific to each show. That November, Martel and Zink are going to work against the tag champs, the British Bulldogs at the forum in Montreal and get this. The Bulldogs are having to work as heels in the match because of how popular Martel and Zink were. I mean, was Rick Martel like maybe the low key original Bret Hart? Is he like a big Canadian hero in this era? Well, again, Montreal's different. Yeah. It's just different. And it was more a matter of how that audience was going to take Rick Martel that they knew. And he was one of them. So the audience was, they're, they're very loyal. Gotta, gotta hand it to them there. They're very loyal and, and you can't, you're just not going to change that. When 87 starts, they're working against Greg Valentine and Brutus beefcake. They're also working against the heart foundation demolition, iron Sheik, and Volkoff. Of course, WrestleMania three opens with Rick Martel and Tom Zink winning the very first match. Picking up a win over Don Morocco and Bob Orton Jr. And then the split with Zinc happens. And I guess that's when we can really start to dig in because you're actually part of the organization here. They're teaming until July 9th when they had their last match together. They defeated the Islanders there. But starting on July 11th, Zinc would be substituted with various partners for Martel. 
after leaving the company, I believe over a disagreement over pay. Do you remember hearing about this split and and what the real deal was? You know, I I think that everybody's going to have their own version of it. I think that Tom kind of had a little bit higher opinion of himself. And also at the same time, I believe that Tom was kind of being romanced from down below in the South as well. Um, Hey, come on in here. You should be a single. They shouldn't, you shouldn't be part of a tag team and, my God, you're going to be the next, the next big thing. You know, Tom had a great look and was a hell of a worker. But as far as what actually happened, I really don't know because uh, there's just a lot of rumor and innuendo out there, but it could be one of many things and it just didn't work out in the end and had to plan B. Man, remember when waking up on the weekend, watching a little wrestling challenge or some superstars, man, that got me going, made my weekend. And it was always accompanied with a big bowl of sugary cereal. And then of course you grow up and well, things change. Wrestling's not on on Saturday mornings anymore. And I'm no longer living for big bowls of sugary cereal on the weekend. But listen, we're all kids at heart, right? I'm trying to find a way to, you know, keep it going. I'm having fun kid at heart. I like talking about wrestling and still like cereal, but now I found a solution with magic spoon that gets me zero sugar. How about that? Can you imagine a cereal that tastes great? That has zero sugar. Magic spoon has done it. That's not all they've done. They've also managed to fit 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. How's that even possible? You can get 11 grams of protein, but only three net grams of carbs. It's wild. Even crazier though, is the big variety that they've got. You can get cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It's all in their variety pack. Each one tastes amazing. Honestly, they're too good to be true. I have to admit, I started rocking the blueberry. Now I think I'm in love with the fruity, but in my house, there's something for everybody with this variety pack. And you no longer have to worry about, you know, your favorite meal of the day or the most important meal of the day, but you don't have to feel like it's a, a sentence. You can actually enjoy it with magic spoon like a kid again don't take my word for it try it right now for yourself over at magicspoon.com forward slash wrestle i recommend you grab the variety pack and just try it today and be sure to use our promo code wrestle at checkout to get free shipping by the way magic spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed by a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked that's magicspoon.com slash wrestle and use the promo code wrestle for free shipping and we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast and our fun breakfast. It's magicspoon.com forward slash wrestle. Use that promo code wrestle. You'll be glad you did. I think before Tom passed away, he did a radio interview where he said something like the reason he quit is because he found out Rick Martell had a different deal than him, or that's at least what he believed. And he felt like he was only getting $50 a night, or that's all he was guaranteed rather. Uh, and he felt like he was being manipulated and he said, you know, when it came time for finishes, zinc was always the guy taking the pin. It was never Martel. And he had to do all the selling and just let Martel have the comeback. So clearly Tom was kind of bitter about how this happened. And Martel even says it might not have worked out, but it was maybe his fault accidentally. 
He says, I don't have it. And this is the way it's always been in business. You don't talk about your pay. And he said, as the old timer, he was, he's trying to pump zinc up. And he also says that Linda at Vince's request helped Tom get a mortgage from the local bank. And then things come to a head when zinc refuses to adhere to the new dress code and is wearing jeans. Martel's going to chew him out for the first time ever. And then zinc quits the next day by writing Martel a memo. And Martel said he flew to Tom's home with Jack Lanza and tried to convince him to return, but Tom just flat refused. And, uh, well, Rick is not very, uh, high on Tom Zink these days. That's a wild story, man, that the guys disagree and just fuck this. I'm quitting. Yeah. But I, but I also think that there were other elements and other factors at play there. Um, I could see all of that happening, every single bit of it. But I also think there were people stirring up Tom and getting Tom worked up to think that, hey, man, you deserve so much more. This guy's using you. This guy, you know, he's he's been working now 10 years. He needs a young, he needs a young guy to go out and do all the bumps for him to save his career. Shit, Rick wasn't that fucking old at that point. Let's talk about, uh, what's next for him. Now that he's without a partner, he's going to work some solo matches and he's going to have some substitutes, but then eventually he gets a permanent tag team partner in Tito Santana. And they work heavily that fall with the Islanders who at the time were managed by Bobby Heenan. And this is going to be a big deal. Martel says he comes up with the name strike force based on, uh, an interview where Tito was promising as a team, they're going to be striking with force. So strike force is the name based on that Tito promo. And they even began using girls in cars as their theme off of the pile driver album, which was, I believe originally meant for the can-am connection. What was it about Tito that made him just the right fit for Rick Martel? I think just timing. And I think that the two guys really gelled together. Um, Best I remember, it was Vince that actually came up with the name, but the the girls in cars was something that was going to be used for the Can-Am connection. And I don't think we'd actually debuted it yet for the Can-Am connection, but then it was perfect for Strike Force and, and Tito and Rick. No girls doubt about it. in cars, girls in cars. Girls in cars. That was shot uh, out in San Francisco on the Pacific. What is it? The Pacific Highway gimmick out there with Robbie <laughs> Dupree. The Pacific Coast Highway, the PCH. Yeah, old PCH. And Robbie Dupree was the singer of that. And he, yeah, nice guy. Let's fast forward to November seventh on Superstars. Tito and Rick are going to win the tag belts from the Hart Foundation. And, uh, backstage, the new champs are going to celebrate with the president, Jack Tunney, Bam, Bam, Hillbilly Jim and JYD. Uh, this is kind of fun that we used to have baby face celebrations. It feels like a staple here in this era. I guess maybe the first time I remember it being a big thing actually was Hogan's win where Andre's back there helping him celebrate with champagne. Why did Vince or, or the Duns or whoever really like that shot? Do you think just to cement in the fans eyes that, Hey, we just saw something special and he's a baby face. Yeah. It, de- it depended on who they, who it was. I mean, we did it with heels too. Sure. 
Just a nice celebration in the back. Make it special. Uh, on the, uh, November 26th airing of primetime wrestling, which was taped three weeks earlier at the Sam Hoss, Sam Houston Coliseum, Rick and Tito defeat the Islanders in about 13 minutes. And after the match, a guy named Bruce Pritchard interviews Jimmy Hart and the Hart foundation on the stage with Jimmy demanding a title shot at the next Houston show on December 11th, Martell and Santana, except and it's kind of an interesting trio when you go back and watch that show, because it's you, Mike McGurk and Pete Doherty on commentary. We haven't talked a ton about that, but what a, uh, what a weird group of folks on commentary. I still think that was a rib on me. I'll never forget, uh, being on a plane. We were coming back from Houston, back to New York. And Vince looks at me and says, how much talent work have you done? And I didn't know exactly what the hell he was talking about. And I said, well, you know, I've done the localized interviews in the Mid-South, which was essentially plugging the town and holding a microphone for the guys to, to talk. And I had done a little bit of color. When I say a little bit of color, I can count the matches on one hand. But I had never done play-by-play. Right. So I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I've done three or four matches of color, but not a lot. I said, I've mainly been the, the stick man doing localized interviews is, but you could probably do play by play. And I said, I, I don't know. Um, he says, I got an idea. I'd like for you to be the, the, the host and do play by play for the Houston shows. And we'll use those for, prime time and all American and, and what have you in our international properties. And I've got an idea. I'd like to put you with a, a guy. He's a, a journeyman was one of our enhancement talent. He, a great, great guy. Great guy. Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester. Um, he's quite a character. He's got a strong Boston accent. Those people in Texas will hate his accent, but he's got the gift of gab. And I, and I think you'd be able to get, get some good stuff out of him. And then, uh, I have a, a female in mind, Mike McGurk. I knew Mike and I'm looking at him like, Oh shit. And he says, I'd like to try her as like in an analyst role. So you would, you would lead these two and you would, uh, be the traffic controller and you do play by play. Pete does a little color. And then you guys bring Mike in from time to time. She's a pleasant looking woman and uh, nice, very Southern charm about her. So I'm like, okay, so you got two Southerners and a, a Bostonite doing this shit. None of us had ever performed those roles before in our life until the first time that we did at a Houston taping. Wow. And it was God awful. You want to hear some really bad commentary and some really bad color and analysts and shit. Go back and listen to any of the shit that I did in 87 and 88. How about, let's talk about another weird combination. This was on the MSG network. It's uh strike force against the heart foundation. And on commentary, it's Gorilla Monsoon, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Nick Bockwinkle. That just 
feels like a fever dream, but it was real. It was. We were trying to do something with Nick, too. Thought that Nick's vocabulary and way with words might be able to translate into a color commentator. It did not. Well, we know we're going to see him at uh, Survivor Series 87, which we've done a show on in long form. He's a part of the uh, giant 20-man tag team match, the most crowded match you'll ever see. Uh, and then on the January 2nd, 1988 Saturday night's main event, Martel and Santana are working as a tag match against Volkov and Zukov. And, uh, they go two out of three falls here, but that's really not what's most famous. What's most famous is, uh, Santana and Martel making an appearance the same night that Andre, the giant's going to attack Hulk Hogan following his win over King Kong Bundy. Uh, it's going to be a big night. In early 88, Strike Force is going to keep working with Heart Foundation, including a February 5th NBC show that we've talked a lot about, the main event. Strike Force beats the Hearts when Martel pins Brett by uh, blocking a sunset flip. It's the last match on the show, and you even see it as the credits are rolling. Uh, that's a pretty monumental show to be on and to sort of be the last thing you see. Uh, that's kind of a cool spot to have. Well, yeah, we probably would like to have seen a few more minutes of it. But yeah. Unfortunately, it's live television and sometimes shit happens. So it was, but we did get the finish in. We got the finish in before the credits finished. So that's a good thing. We're doing some fun house shows around this time. It's six man tag strike force and macho man on one side, honky tonk with the heart foundation on the others. But then at WrestleMania four strike forces cheated out of the titles by demolition in about eight minutes after smash pins Martel. Once Axe has hit Martel over the back of the head with Fuji's cane behind the referee's back. But in the following months, we would have return matches all over the place. Uh, and eventually they injure Rick Martel on primetime wrestling. That was taped on June 1st in Oakland. It aired on July 11th and demolition would perform their demolition decapitation finisher on him at ringside that leaves him unconscious on the floor and it would be announced uh, on superstars that he suffered injuries and a concussion. And in the storyline, he's going to briefly retire due to the injuries, but in reality, he's granted a leave from the company and he's going to take six months off to take care of his severely ill wife. What do you remember about him taking some time off the road here to take care of some family business? Well, I, again, it was the right thing to do. It was something that Rick felt very strongly about and he needed to be with his family at that time. And his wife was ill and that was something Rick wanted to do. And Vince fully supported it. Yeah. She, uh, winds up having part of her small intestine removed. And, um, he, he says when he went to meet with Vince and told him that he needed to go home to be with his wife, of course, we all have maybe a certain expectation, but he said he was shocked at how Vince was so understanding. And he told Rick, allegedly, there's no doubt in my mind. The only place you need to be is with your wife. So there you go. It's not all bad stuff. You hear about old Vinnie Mac, uh, January 3rd, 1989, Rick Martell is back and he's going to pick up a win over Barry Horowitz with the Boston crab in two minutes and 44 seconds in good old Huntsville, Alabama. He's going to wrestle Mr. Perfect to a time limit draw in primetime wrestling that airs on February 6th. And as we build towards WrestleMania five, he's still staying in these singles matches, but then on April 2nd at WrestleMania, 
Strike Force reunites for the first time in 10 months. But of course, unfortunately, they're defeated by the Brain Busters. And there's a, a pretty interesting moment late in the bout. Martel walks out on his partner, Santana, after accidentally hitting him with the flying forearm. And after the contest, Gene Okerlund does a backstage interview with Martel about his actions. And Martel claims he was just sick of Santana trying to ride his coattails, which is kind of funny because they haven't even teamed together for 10 months, but I guess we're not supposed to remember that. But this storyline or this little angle at WrestleMania five, I remember like it was yesterday because I used to wear this tape out. It was a big moment in both of their careers, even though they hadn't been teaming. What can you tell us about how we got there with that idea? Well, the idea was really one of Pat Patterson's and thinking that Martel being an arrogant heel uh, would work. So it's like, okay, let's let's bring him back. People did remember Strike Force. And if you're going to turn heel, turn heel on a popular babyface, the likes of a Tito Santana, someone that everyone loved right. and would care about. So reunite the team and then have Martel walk. And to your point, kind of the ridiculousness of, you know, Rick, I've carried you on my coattails. Rick, you've been gone for six months or what have you. Right. So it it just, uh, it was a lot easier transition and it put Rick right into a program with Tito. They had chemistry and had great matches. Ding dong, look who's hard. Bruce is so hard, so very hard. Ding dong, his boner's not dead. Yeah, BlueChew.com is sponsoring the show again. And I'm trying to find creative ways to get your attention, all right? Because we've been talking about BlueChew for a long, long time. And I'm wondering, what the hell are you waiting for? Go to BlueChew.com right now and use promo code WRESTLE. Let's see how hard we can get your ding dong, all right? I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't need that, man. Yes, you do. This is not just for guys who have performance issues. This is not just for guys who have erectile dysfunction. This is for guys who want an edge. This is for guys who want to put on a show. This is for guys who are looking for a five-star rating. And no, you don't have to go to the Tokyo Dome. You have to go to bluechew.com and use promo code WRESTLE. It really is that simple. Here's what all the fuss is about. This has the same active ingredient that you know from Viagra and Cialis, except this is the world's first chewable. And chewables can work faster. And these chewables can be taken on a full or an empty stomach. Not only that, these are better than the other two. And here's why they're cheaper. You get to skip the in-person doctor's visit. Instead, you go to bluechew.com. You'll work with one of their affiliated physicians to help find the right active ingredient and dosage for you and your body. And if you qualify, you'll get prescribed online very quickly. It's going to show up to your door in discreet packaging. So that means you get to skip running down to the pharmacy and saying, uh, hey, uh, I, I'm here. Uh, you don't have to do that. Instead, it just shows up to your door. And when you get it, boom, it's time to enjoy. By the way, Blue Chew's made right here in the red, white, and blue, the old US of A. We're so proud of that. And we're so proud that you're finally going to know what all the fuss is about. This is can't miss. I cannot tell you how many of my friends and how many of the folks I know in wrestling are all about blue chew and it all started because they heard it on this podcast and yes this episode is sponsored by blue chew and if you're looking for something we could all use a little more of right now not just sex but great sex let's get that extra confidence that we need let's increase our performance let's go to bluechew.com 
blue like the color blue and one more time blue chews made in the usa it's prescribed online by licensed physicians you don't have to go to the doctor you don't have to wait in line it's cheaper than a pharmacy they prepare and ship it right to you it's in a discreet package there's no awkwardness you don't need to leave the house what are you waiting for right now we've got a special deal for you visit bluechew.com get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code wrestle you'll just pay the five dollars shipping Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, bluechew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and you can try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast and our hard-ons. And remember, you support our shows. You make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use the promo code WRESTLE at bluechew.com. Let's get your ding-dong on the gas. Yeah, the promo afterwards, you're lucky that being the gentleman that I am, I just walked off. That could have been a lot worse for you, Tito Santana. And it's kind of fun because I think Rick did an interview once where he said that Vince and Pat didn't really see him as a heel. They thought no one would buy it. And Martel says he even threatened to quit if Vince wouldn't at least let him try it. And he even gave his notice. And a few days later, he gets a call from Vince and Pat, and they're a little more willing. Uh, so he, they get him to come to TV, but they want him to do babyface promos again. So he tries to quit again. This time Vince calls him at home and they come to an agreement that he'll turn heel, but Vince says he needs a gimmick and Martel says, well, I hadn't really thought about that. This is something that has always fascinated me when one of the boys sort of puts their foot down and says, nope, that's not what I want for my character. I mean, famously, allegedly, uh, Sid is in a meeting once with Vince and says something like, or hears, Hey, I want you to be my next Hulk Hogan. And apparently Sid's like, ah, I'd rather be a heel. And that just, I don't know, amazes me. Like what a prime spot. Why do you think Martel felt so strongly that he wanted to be a heel? And if he couldn't get it, he was going to quit. He wanted to be a heel. Cause he, I don't think he'd ever been a heel before. Right. And it was a challenge to him. It was something that he felt he could pull off with the personal issue with Tito and look, who doesn't want to be a heel? I mean, being a heel is just so much easier than, and it's than being a baby face. Well, he's going to submit this heel turn on April 22nd when he's introduced to slicks latest protege. Of course, in this era of the company, if you're a bad guy, you've got a manager from there. Of course, he's feuding with Tito over the next year, losing to him in the finals of the 89 King of the ring tournament in October in Rhode Island. And as 89 comes to a close, the decision is made to end Martel's association with slick. Talk about why you thought slick was the right guy. And ultimately why there was a separation. It had run its course. And I don't know that slick did, uh, really anything positive for Martel. It was a, a pairing to let everyone know that Martel's now a heel because he has a heel manager. And it just, to me, it just didn't work. Plus the idea of the, of the model kind of had started to form. Man, I absolutely fucking love this model character. Before we get into it though, I do want to mention the November 23rd survivor series in 89. Dusty Rhodes, Brutus Beefcake, Tito Santana, and the Red Rooster on one side. Big Boss Man, Honky Tonk Man, Bad News Brown, and Rick Martel on the other. Man, that's a lot of talent. 
a lot of Hall of Famers and Red Rooster. There you go. Around the same time, Martel starts to position himself as a fashion model, and he's even referred to as fashion model Rick Martel. And he appears on the interview stage wearing clothing, some fancy suited and booted gear here. And Lord Alfred Hayes is going to describe this beautiful attire in his very British tone of voice. And, uh, during the appearances, Martel's coat was cut up by Brutus, the barber beefcake. And that sets the two of them up for a program in early 90 and somewhere along the way, they drop the word fashion and just start referring to him as the model. And Martel even admits at first he wasn't sold on the idea, but his wife reminded him, at least it's not a rooster. That gimmick was already taken. Somebody flubbed it. What'd you think of, uh, the model. I absolutely love the vignettes. We just saw some of those uh, on a bonus show that you and I watched a Saturday night's main event, but dude, this is great stuff. I love the character. I can't believe he was even remotely hesitant. Yeah. The character was great and the buildup and the vignettes and everything else about it were great. And it gave Rick something to sink his teeth into, uh, the accent comes across as very arrogant and, and he could talk down his nose at people. Um, little in, insight to the model that in the beginning, and actually all through it, uh, Martel wore a lot of Vince's old suits and had them. You know, Vince gave him suits that were very similar in body type, and Martel had them tailored to fit himself and. So when you go back and you look and some of the shit that Martel was wearing and especially in the, the suit department were from Vince McMahon. Well, how about that? Uh, January, we get the Royal rumble. Martel's got another dig in on San- Tito Santana by helping eliminate him. And, uh, Santana was attempting to throw Martel out of the ring, but of course, ultimately warrior would be the guy to eliminate Martel. He's still working Brutus beefcake on house shows, but he never interacts with him on pay-per-view besides survivor series 89. I guess this is just that different era where you really made your money setting up house show matches, right? Live events was the bread and butter. That's that was your business model and pay-per-views were a special event, but you spent your television time and everything else building up to the live event model. Things really going to get cooking here. February 10th, 1990 on superstars. We see Rick appear on this show called the brother love show. And this is where Rick would introduce the world to his own fictional brand of cologne arrogance. He often carries it to the ring in a large atomizer and sprays it in the eyes of his opponents to blind them regularly getting himself dehued, but sometimes picking up a win that way too. And the baby face commentators are always saying how bad it smells and the heels are acting like they loved it. Uh, chat me up. What were you guys actually putting in these arrogance gimmicks? Arrogance. <sighs> Some of the finest goddamn spring water you ever wanted to know. I love you for that. And then we throw in some just bad cologne and shit so that the folks around ringside could smell it. Some brute. But it actually smelled pretty good. Some watered down brute. Yeah. 
Good I, shit. I bet, karate. You, I bet you used to wear some fucking Dracar back in the day, didn't you? So? <laughs> Despite all this time in the company, Martel makes his singles pay-per-view match debut at WrestleMania 6, beating Coco Beware with the Boston Crab. It's pretty remarkable to think that he turned heel the year before, and during all that time, he still never had a singles match on pay-per-view. Uh, the April 28th edition uh, is where we started well, to see There weren't all- a lot of pay-per-views to have matches on at that time in 1989 or whatever the hell. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying he's a few years removed from being the AWA world champ. One of the last ones, I guess, that mattered, but still. Here he is here, and they, uh, we, we mentioned him earlier. The vignettes are going to start airing. Uh, Saturday night's main event on April 28th. He's riding horseback. He's uh, picking up a couple of women. He's driving off with them in a convertible. This just had your fingerprints all over it. You love these type of skits. And I think everybody listening to this grew up on them. Absolutely. And it was, it was a way to just, we had the, the cologne and we actually, I think we, I think we did sell it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We did other colognes and shit, but we were going to sell, we were actually going to bottle and sell arrogance, man. That would have been so fucking great. Hey, I wanted to sell it in the big atomizer though. Shout out to, uh, somebody who's listening to this, who has a, a cologne business. My DMS are open and I got an idea. Uh, on August 11th, a SummerSlam report announces that Tito Santana and Rick Martel is finally going to happen at SummerSlam. And for several weeks, we're getting all the hype for this match. And then on August 26th, this announced that the warlord would replace Rick Martell in the match due to a previous modeling engagement. And so now warlord works with Tito and warlord gets the win in five and a half minutes with the running power slam. By the way, the announcement is made on the 26th. The show is the 27th. Uh, why not give us the payoff to the Santana Martell feud at SummerSlam here? Didn't need to. But why promote it and then not do it? Because it was a way to promote just a, a heel move. Nobody was paying for that match. Okay, that's fair. And it was a way to just, again, the, the arrogance of the model Rick Martel that he pulls out at the last minute. And I want to say that there was some supermodel at the time that had done something very oh, similar okay. in a big show. Okay, that so makes it was sense. like, now he's this big supermodel and he just no-shows just like because that other guy did. Too good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was actually female, but well, still, I mean, I, I get know. it now. No, that's a great uh, explanation. Following SummerSlam, Rick begins to, uh, regularly appear on the brother love show. And he's at the beginning of the segments before brother love would bring out his main guest for the week. And a special report segment on September 30th showed Martel's appearances on the brother love show each time spraying his arrogance cologne. And he explained he only shared arrogance with people who deserve it, like his friend, Brother Love. How much fun did you have working on these segments with Rick? Oh, I loved it because we would always come up with just some kind of different bullshit to do. It was, you know, the the fun thing about Brother Love at the time was I would literally produce it and direct it as I was walking to the podium. I would walk in, uh, Timmy Walbert, the handheld camera, and I forget who, who the other one was, but I, they would walk with me and they're shooting. 
and I would be telling them exactly, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that here. Start here, come around to my left. I'll work to you. Then I'm going to turn back over here. And I would just walk out and, and give it to them on the way to the, to the podium before I would start. So it was just fun shit to do that. We would try and come up with different ways to showcase Martell. Did you, ha- you know, me and you haven't talked about this in a while, but did you have to, I mean, you didn't have a script back then. This is just you freestyling. I usually had a lot of scripts. Okay. You know what I mean? Here's my oh. question. I guess, did you have to run, run any of that by anybody? I mean, would you just talk it with through with Vince or something or not so much? Talk. No, I just did it. I was, I mean, at the time I was in charge of the, of the shows as well on the production side of things. So and if he wanted to change it, he had that prerogative. Obviously, he could change how the hell we cut the damn thing, but it was just that's what I did. You ain't got to get hot about it. Well, I knew what I, I knew, and a lot of times it's just you you think at the last minute and start coming up with shit. Right. Well, the uh, October sixth edition of uh, the Brother Love Show on Superstars. We see Rick Martell have a pretty interesting meeting with Jake, the snake during the appearance, Martell's going to spray the snake bag with the cologne and Jake stops him several times before getting frustrated with him, going to grab him. And then he gets sprayed right in the eyes and the boss man and several officials come out to try to tend to Jake with boss man, throwing water in Jake's eyes to help wash out this cologne. And over the following weeks, Martell's going to apologize saying he didn't spray it in Jake's eyes on purpose, but we see footage of Jake Roberts damaged eye being completely white with Roberts being in excruciating pain. Dude, this is some great, I know it's silly, stupid shit and it doesn't age well, but man, the little kid is still, still awesome. I loved it, dude. When I was a kid, this was the coolest story ever. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I think because everybody could relate to it, getting something in your eye and now you're like, just, you can't see a damn thing and you're kind of helpless. And, uh, for those that you spray cologne, you've gotten it in your eye before you can imagine the pain, the fucking burning sensation that just takes place in your eyes as it's going through and seeping into your pores and it, actually into your brain and doing some fucking damage. This is serious shit. All right, fellows. If you know, there's one debate that Bruce and I still have to this day. It's about who was the official dog of something to wrestle. Now, foolishly, he thinks that it's all about his dog, Roger. And I think he's got one named Rowdy. What? That's silly. What he needs to know and acknowledge is that Ginger and Baby are the official dogs, the official tag team champions of the canine side of things for something to wrestle. Something Bruce and I definitely agree on is that we love our dogs. And if you're listening to this and you're a pet owner, you know what we're talking about. It's just hard to put into words how important these little dogs become and they become a part of our family. Here's something you may not know though. Up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut. And supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health is going to enable pets better fight environmental allergies. Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. 
Solid Gold, by the way, is the first holistic pet company in America. Founded way back in 74 by Sissy McGill. She's a pioneer and a trailblazer. She disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food way before it was cool. She was inspired by the European pet food and the idea that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. So her first recipe has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Now, Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact your pet's mind, body, and spirit. Now, for over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category. They have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, and, of course, supplements like sea meal and 100% human-grade bone broth. And by the way... Bruce's dogs go banana whenever they hear the cap on the bone broth come off. They know, oh, it's time for the best meal of our life. Solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They're going to balance with living probiotics, and they're going to fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, all supporting gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. And right now, you can save 30% on select solid gold products when you go to solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle to save 30% on select solid gold products. Remember, solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. On the October 27th edition of the Brother Love Show, Martel is once again uh, going to be here and he's giving the, the blinded Jake Roberts a walking stick to help him out. Roberts comes out. Iron- very kind. Very kind. Ironically, he's got Tony Gurria helping him here. And Martel's going to tease and then slap Jake before being led away by officials. Jake, thinking he has Martel, grabs Brother Love and DDTs him straight into the floor. Uh, that, that was probably uh, not the way you hoped your night would go that day, if I had to guess. I thought it was great. I fucking loved it. Tell everybody the, uh, the, the trick to taking a DDT. Turn your head and pancake out. But it, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, to me, it wasn't that difficult, but Jake showed me how to do it. So you, you just, you, you take your bump and I love it. You know? Yeah. Does it hurt? Yeah, sure. It still hurts. But for me, it was safe. Well, it's on, it's, um, we've got a whole feud now and on the November 11th wrestling challenge, Martel's going to defeat Tito by DQ when a blinded Jake Roberts comes to the ring and mistakenly attacks Santana thinking he was Martel after the bout, Santana's going to give Roberts the microphone who says he's going to get Rick Martel and survivor series 90. It's the visionaries versus the Vipers. Martel's going to captain a team here with warlord, Paul Roma and Hercules. And they're going to take on the Vipers led by Jake Roberts. And he's got the rockers and Jimmy Snuka with them. I like this concept, especially since we have the ultimate match of survival. We've talked about that before, but, uh, it winds up being all of Martel's team, the visionaries taking on Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior, and of all people, Tito Santana, Martel's counted out of the match when he walks out. So it's cool to see Rick 
feature in a cool spot here and working in this last match. And he's not even taking a pin. He just walks out. Cause he's the model and he could late November, beat him. late November and early December, Jake and Martell are working house show matches against each other. And we even see Martell working some house show matches against a very young Dustin Rhodes. And something happened during 1990s that he became more interested in managing his commercial real estate investments. And he had used the money he made over the years in the wrestling business to buy a bunch of investment properties. And he obviously gets more and more comfortable in that space. Um, he was a slumlord. Okay. <laughs> no, but Rick did. He, he, he had purchased a lot of stuff and it, it became, that became a full-time job as well. Good for him. Rumble 91. We see Martell eliminate Jake Roberts from the match with a snap mare over the ropes. And Martell then goes to set on a, uh, to set a record. I guess it was a record at the time. He's in the match for 53 minutes before he's eliminated by the British bulldog. And now here's a weird moment on the February 16th, 1991 superstars. Martell defeats Tommy Landell with the Boston crab in one minute and 15 seconds. But then an unknown masked man comes to the ring, attacks Martell and then leaves. It's the debut of the Mariner character played by Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. What would have been the payoff for this silly shit, Bruce? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's why I thank God it ended. It was fucking horrible with no direction whatsoever. Nobody knew. Oh man. Chocolate cake yeah. ideas. The March 24th, 1991 WrestleMania is where we get a pretty fun match. We've talked about it in great detail when we covered WrestleMania seven. It's the LA sports arena. Jake, the snake Roberts finally gets his comeuppance. He pins Rick, the model Martell after a DDT about eight and a half minutes into a blindfold match. And after the match, Roberts is going to stomp the atomizer. The arrogance is, and, uh, he scares Martell out of the ring with Damien. And I got to tell you, the internet was not kind to this. and Neither was Meltzer. He gave it a dud rating, but as a kid, did we have internet in 1990? No, but I'm just I don't saying, think we did. Dude, th when I was a kid, this was the shit. It was fucking awesome. Yes. It was it was absolute great storytelling because Martell had blinded Jake. Jake wanted Martell to feel what it was like to be blind and have your vision taken away from you and the blindfold match, the psychology of the match, both men blindfolded as a baby face, you point to the heel, you point around, and the crowd tells you where they are. They get louder as you get closer. But then when the heel tries to do it, the crowd does the exact opposite. And it's just absolutely classic good versus evil, a fun match and easy as fuck to understand. I love it for the naysayers bite my ass. It was a great story, too, and, and a fun payoff. Yeah. Did, 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 when you started... The whole blinding angle. I mean, the whole arrogance in the eyes. Did you know, boy, it sure would be cool if we could save this to WrestleMania and do a blindfold match. I mean, did you have that finish in mind, a blindfold match? 
we got there. Uh, I don't know at the, the very beginning if that was the, the plan that, oh, my God, we're going to get to a blindfold match. But that became kind of the, uh, God damn, we're going to get a blindfold match out of this. <laughs> I mean, that was really kind of the feeling behind it. Martel's going to lose to the big boss man on the April 9th primetime wrestling and then to Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth and what was billed as Savage's final bout. Um, of course he's going to lose the WrestleMania seven retirement match. Uh, Martel's going to lose matches against top guys here. Uh, Randy Savage, ultimate warrior, Roddy Piper. And in April of 91, he leaves and he substituted for all of his advertised matches. Is it just time to go handle investments or does he think maybe the writing is on the wall with all the Zahorian stuff? I think Rick was feeling just more than anything that he was tired with the business. He did have a very strong business outside of wrestling at that time and was looking around going, I don't want to be on the road anymore. His wife was doing a lot with the business and it was time, time maybe to hang it up. Here's the reason I think maybe he was nervous. July 4th, 1991, no one sees this coming, but Zahorian, who at one time was a part of the Pennsylvania state athletic commission and positioned ringside at a lot of pro wrestling events in the state was found guilty on 12 counts. And in the papers, of course, we know that he's going to be, uh, in a little trouble for selling steroids without medical purpose to Roddy Piper, B Brian Blair, Dan Spivey, and Rick Martell. To me, this feels like something that would have spooked a lot of guys. And, and I don't know, you got to think at this point, since Rick does have a backup plan with the investment properties, maybe it does make sense to take a break for a little bit, huh? Well, definitely, but he had already made that decision to make a break and to go back and take care of his business and stuff. And this was a coincidence. And it's I'm sure for him, He's probably looking at it as, look, I'd like to get out of the spotlight as much as possible. It's a good timing. He's back in December of 91 and, uh, his big return match is a win over Dale Wolf on the December 28th superstars. He's also announced as being part of the 92 Royal rumble. He's going to come in about 48 minutes in and he's eliminated by Sid justice roughly 13 minutes later. Here in early 92, he starts a feud with Tatanka and that leads to a match at WrestleMania eight where Tatanka goes over because, well, he's got the hot hand here. And Martel says he was almost placed with Tatanka as a mentor of sorts or a teacher. And he has to admit in interviews he's done since that by this point, his heart wasn't in the business. It was him focusing on real estate. But if you're trying to get a young guy over like, you know, Hey, we want to push this new character Tatanka. You could do a lot worse than having him work with Rick Martell and learn the ropes, right? No shit. And, you know, for Tatanka, that probably did him more good than anything else he could have done. Martell actually first met Shawn Michaels when they both worked for the AWA, but he wound up traveling with Shawn during his first heel run. And he says that Shawn really picked his brain during that time and his luck would have it. They actually wind up programmed together in a pretty rare, especially for the time heel versus heel program. The two were battling for the affection of sensational Sherry, I suppose, 
but the match has a fun stipulation too. No hitting in the face. That's just great stuff. You know, especially with these two characters. God damn, that's hilarious. Well, you know, it adds a different dimension to the match. It adds a different dimension to the match from the standpoint of, I don't really have anybody to root for, but when you add that kind of condition to the match, now I'm actually rooting for both guys to finally punch the other fucker in the face. So good, dude. Yeah. Um, it's a fun match. Of course, we're talking about SummerSlam 1992. You got a huge crowd. What a fun show that was. And he says afterward, by the way, we should mention it was a double count out. Um, so how do you end a heel versus heel match? How do you, same way you end a champ versus end a champ match. Champion versus yeah. champion fucking match. Same thing. Same, same. <laughs> um, he does say that Sean took him aside you know, in Wembley afterwards and, and really thanked him for his first big payday. And, uh, this is going to be sort of Sean's major coming out party. Uh, the rumor in innuendo is that Sean Michaels was supposed to win the intercontinental belt from Brett before Brett suggested bulldog, take the belt in London and then later drop it to Sean in the States was the Sean Martell feud one out of necessity just to sort of keep Sean in the picture and ready for that next step. I mean, I wasn't back then at that point, but uh, I could see that being the case because they had Wembley and the attraction of Bulldog there was a huge drawing, just a big part of that card. You know, obviously Rick's only done a handful of interviews. He doesn't do much in wrestling anymore, but he has said that Sean became a very powerful personality in wrestling, but not always in a positive way. And he remembers Sean going way too long with the ladder match at WrestleMania 10 and the eight man tag that he was in with other guys had to be cut as a result. But despite that, he says, Sean was always very respectful of him. And he thinks it probably is because they had this feud so early in Sean's career, but that that's pretty mature on Martel's spot too. When he thinks a guy he helped maybe bring along goes so long at WrestleMania, he doesn't even get to work the show. Yeah, one, one, one of the shining spots, and, you know, it's one of those that people always point back to is this great match, you know, the first ladder match that we did on a national stage. Um, they forget those repercussions. It's kind of like Rock and Mick with This Is Your Life going heavy and how it affected the rest of the show. In this particular instance, how it affected the show and how it affected other guys for their WrestleMania moment that night. They didn't get a perform. Martel resumes his feud with Tatanka that fall at the 92 survivor series where Tatanka defeats him and reclaims his sacred Eagle feathers. Lord between these jackets, and these feathers, you guys are big on these property reclaiming angles. Aren't you? Have you ever had an Eagle feather stolen? I have not. Okay. Well, see then. You can't really speak to it. For those okay. of us that have actually us. been awarded, uh, awarded the honorary eagle feather, that's a very, very high honor. Where did and you... when someone tries to steal that and take that away from you, <laughs> it brings a tear to my eye. At this point, Rick's career, just like this you know podcast, starts in to all wind ser- In all seriousness, I really, I really was presented an eagle feather, which is a very high honor. Really, with the Native Americans, yes, it was. I had no idea. Like, 
Yeah, and uh, I think that's like one of the coolest, coolest things that wait. What you I have? I like. I like. Don't even put it out because it's special. I don't even know where the hell it is. Right. I know it's in the house somewhere. It's so special. It's I don't even know where it is. Well, no. No, um, it's in the it's in the cedar closet downstairs, but it, it's just um, it was a big de- I, it's a big deal. It's a big fucking deal to the Native American. Uh, if if a Native American gives you an eagle feather, man, that's like fucking. Wait, wait, wait! Shit. Hang on now. Is this just Briscoe? After y'all had too much chocolate cake, just do not go there. Okay, all right. Uh, at this point, Martel's career starts to wind down. In 93, he worked mostly secondary programs like All-American Wrestling on Sunday mornings or Wrestling Challenge, which was syndicated. But at the September 27th Monday Night Raw taping, Martel is the co-winner of a battle royal with Razor Ramon that aired on October 4th. And the winners are now going to face off for the Intercontinental Championship, which had been vacated. Of course, Rick Martel loses the match to Ramon, which further helps cement him as a babyface. And then he feeds very briefly with Bastion Booger, who thankfully he sprayed with some arrogance. Survivor Series 93, he's teaming with Adam Bomb, Diesel, and IRS, losing to the 123 kid, Marty Gennetti, Randy Savage, and Razor Ramon. Martel actually wound up getting eliminated by the 123 kid. He's in the 94 Rumble as number 26, but he's eliminated by Tatanka. And as we mentioned, he was supposed to be in that big, huge tag match at WrestleMania 10, but it's cut due to time constraints. I think we'd asked this before, but when the guys are there and ready to go, but somebody goes long and they get their match cut, they still get paid, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, wrestle, uh, wrestling is going to be really winding down for, for Martel here. Uh, let's talk about the end of the, the run here with the company. He wrestles Randy Savage that summer in Japan, but by July he's gone. He comes back for his last match, the 1995 Royal rumble. Uh, it's a match that's a little over two minutes before he's ultimately, uh, eliminated by, uh, the barbarian who at the time is working as a head shrinker. And curiously, he does a house show in Montreal the next month. It's a surprise appearance and it's an in-ring interview. And later he does a run in clotheslining Shawn Michaels. But nothing really ever happens with that. When you guys were just running Montreal, was it just a way to excite the local crowd and just a one-off or yes. was there a real discussion that you guys just decided better against? No, it was, it was for the Montreal market to be able to go out and give them something special. One of their own coming out and give them a high spot. You know, our friend, Dan St. Germain, who, by the way, killed it at the roast of Bruce Pritchard a few years ago. He still has, uh, well, perhaps my favorite roast joke ever. I don't know that I should retell it here, but my good God, what a savage he is. Anyway, he's got a wrestling podcast now called Total and Marks with fellow comedian Scott Chaplin and the man behind the WWE creative-ish Twitter account, Robert Karpales. I really enjoyed the episodes they did with Ron Funches and Dan Soder, two other huge wrestling fans who are hilarious comedians. Hell, even I've been on the show. And of course the real pod father himself, Mr. Colt Cabana, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Just check it out. It's total F and marks. That's, you know, F 
apostrophe in like ECF and W. Come on. Total F and marks. If you like wrestling, no, no, no. If you love wrestling and you love comedy, I can't recommend this one enough. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. It's total F and marks wherever you enjoy podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. Our man, Dan St. Germain is going to make you laugh. I guarantee you. So he's focusing more on his investments and he's done now. And, uh, he does work some indie dates with uh, a young man named Don Callis, who's now in a position of power with impact wrestling at the time. He's wrestling as the natural. They're going to team up in Manitoba and they're even going to have some indie matches with uh, Tito Santana, but in 96, he's no longer wrestling Don Callis. He's teaming with him as the supermodels. And they're feuding with a couple of young upstarts named Adam impact and Christian cage, who we know are going to go on to become edge and Christian. And we don't have an exact date on this, but sometime in the late nineties, Rick says that Paul Heyman tried to get him to come into ECW, but he didn't want to. And Heyman even offered to let him work with whoever he wanted and do whatever he wanted. But Martel just said, no, thanks. But then magically in 97, there's talks about him coming back to the WWE and Martel says that the original plan was to come in and do a supermodels tag team with who we know is going to go on to become Cyrus on ECW, Don Callis. He says they would have been baby faces, but Cyrus would have turned heel on him eventually. And Martel asked for a yearly deal, but when the contract arrived, it wasn't what he had been discussing and, uh, it mentioned something along the lines of he needed to prove himself for three months. Ultimately, we know Don Callis went to the WWF, but Rick Martell did not. He goes to WCW. We'll get into that in a minute. What do you remember about Rick Martell being in discussions to come in in 97? Do you remember what the, the issue was with the contract or if that's even accurate? And then lastly, what can you tell us about the supermodels idea of him and Don Callis? Well, the idea behind the supermodels, I believe that was something that Rick, uh, the idea that Rick had, you know, we had done the model Rick Martell. So the, he had come in and he found this guy, Don Callis and said they had great chemistry together and wanted to bring Don in as in a tag team because Rick was looking, you know, wanted to work a tag team. I don't think he wanted to work full time as a singles anymore. And we discussed it, laid out the idea for it, actually had uh, vignettes planned for them. And this is where, you know, Vince is, is laying out uh, the vignettes of them down on Miami Beach. And Vince is like, God damn it. And I see you guys, you're walking down the beach and you're just wearing a thong. And you go down the you go down the beach and you have all the girls looking at you and you kick sand in the guys and it's a cross between, you know, like Charles Atlas and and, and being bullies and, and all the women going wild and all this shit. Vince saw it as a heel team. And because they both were just naturally, you know, heels. Right. Um, but the funniest part was is after Vince is laying out these vignettes and pat comes to me and he says brucey he says i i don't get it I, vince is hung up on these guys and the tongs i i i don't know why why can't they just go the barefoot on the beach and why do they got to be wearing the tongs I'm like well pat no he's actually talking about like 
thongs, which like the ass floss thongs, G, G string Jones. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And he had, he had, I don't know. He wants them wearing the shower shoes, the tongs. And had to explain to Pat what the tong was. Oh, I thought he meant like a grill tool. He meant like flip flops. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But in Pat's, in Pat's, the way they wear the tongs. And I knew what he, I speak, I speak Pat. Right. Yeah. I've seen you guys. Y'all are like a couple of cats. So why didn't Martel want to come in here? Do you think, or was it just the the contract? What happened was, is we sent, we sent contracts out and they were the standard contracts. Okay. I, I don't believe at that point that we were doing the downside guarantees. I could be wrong, but. I don't think that their contracts were for any guaranteed money. And again, I could be wrong, but if they were, they were low. And WCW at the time was offering guaranteed contracts. Right. Uh, to come in and work for them. And Rick used that at the time to, to negotiate. And, and actually, he really didn't even negotiate. Um, I heard about it through the grapevine that Rick Martell was talking to Eric Bischoff. And we called Rick. So what are you doing? He says, well, he goes, I'm not happy with this contract and I'm going to go to WCW. It was that simple. And I don't know if he was planning on bringing Callis with him, but, uh, Callis did not go with him. And that's when we ended up using him, uh, for the, no oh God, what the, the truth commission. Yeah. So to help me understand though. You know, we've heard at different times that Vince could be very competitive about, you know, not losing talent to WCW in 97. Does he just not have the luxury of the cash to really compete? And so he just has to No, And that was, that's what I mean. It's correcting myself because Rick, Rick did not come back and use, try to negotiate. But I'm saying when, when, when Vince hears, oh, I'm going to WCW. Rick was already gone. Okay. I got you. So it was too far down in my yeah, head. It was, it was, it was already gone, man. And, and it was, we probably would have, we probably would have gone to Rick and said, Hey, um, what do we need to do? But it was, it was already too far down. He was already road. committed. I got you. Yeah. Well, listen, he does say that this year with WCW is the best year he ever had in wrestling. It would also be his last January 5th, 1998. He's at nitro and the Georgia dome is going to make his WCW debut, defeating the incredible Brad Armstrong. He's got several B show matches in the next few weeks. And he's working this period as a baby face and actually getting pretty decent crowd reactions. They recognize him and they're going to call his finisher, the Quebec crab instead of the Boston crab. And, uh, they're billing him as being from Quebec city. On the January 19th episode of the Superdome or Nitro from the Superdome in New Orleans, Martel would beat Eddie Guerrero with his crab finishing maneuver. And later in the show, Martel would save Booker T from a beatdown, and that sets up an angle between the two. It sold out. Oof. Booker T hits the Harlem hangover on Rick Martel's head, and Martel said it gave him a bad concussion. It says around this time, Booker also hurt Saturn with the move and it was banned. No more using it. A 
And you would think that, well, things are going to be a little smoother and a little safer for Rick going forward. Not the case. Martell's out of action for several weeks with this concussion, but he's back on February 16th on nitro from the fairgrounds in Tampa. And he wins the TV title, defeating Booker T with the Quebec crab. Super brawl eight comes around though, on February 22nd, this one's from San Francisco They're at the cow palace and Booker T wins the title in the opening contest, 10 minutes and 32 seconds, but Martel is fucked. Uh, Booker T hurts him by throwing him with a hip toss from too far in the ring. So he's going to beal him out of the corner, but he takes a few steps. And those two steps meant that Rick's legs are going to land on the middle rope and snap to the mat. And immediately Martel is in a bad way. And Rick says that Booker was working fast and stiff the whole match. Maybe he wanted it to look good for the pay-per-view. Martel jumps off the second rope and gets hit with the Harlem sidekick. And it's less visible what happened here, but Martel lands on his feet during the jump, which might've even worsened the injury he already had from a few minutes earlier. But by the next match, which was Booker T defending his belt against Saturn, it was already announced that Rick Martel had a torn ligament in his knee and Bobby Heenan mentions that might be the end of his career. Now it's not. And for the record, Martel says he has no ill will and no hurt feelings about Booker T at all. He just doesn't think that WCW was properly training their guys, but they're cool and thinks he's a consummate professional and enjoyed his matches and would count him as one of his favorite opponents. He just didn't go well this day. And that's probably the attitude most guys would have in this situation. I mean, nobody ever intentionally tries to hurt their opponent. I would hope not. Yeah. And I think that it was just an unfortunate accident, you know, with, with Rick that sometimes shit happens, man. It's, it ain't ballet and unfortunate as it may be, these things happen in this sport. Well, he's out of action until July and unbelievably he comes back on July 13th, 1998. It's a nitro from the MGM grand garden arena in Las Vegas. And of all people, he's taking on Stevie Ray Booker T's brother. And in the finish, he's injured again by trying to protect his knee. He knocks two vertebrae out of his neck, right? As he hits the mat and he just says, fuck this I'm doing, uh, it's a great year financially for him, but not his best year in wrestling and, uh, time to do something else. He wrestles his last match for real in Hawaii on the Hawaiian islands wrestling federation show. He defeated the metal maniac on March 23rd, 1990. And once he retired from the ring, he did work for WCW as a while as a trainer. And he hosted the French version of some WCW programming. But his real passion is managing all these commercial properties he's racked up over the years. And he even does a main event of a house show, uh, for May of 2003, WWE champ, Brock Lesnar introduces Rick Martel to the ring as a surprise and shakes his hand. And Martel got a huge ovation, a standing ovation, and he's honored to be recognized here. You were a part of the company at the time. How easy was Rick to get off the couch and come do something after a four year absence. I don't know that it was that easy, uh, for him, but I'm sure that it was something that being in Quebec, Hey Rick would love to, would love to see you come on down and 
probably just showed up to say hello to the boys and brought him out and introduced him. It was nothing more than that. We see him again at vengeance night of the champions, which is a pay-per-view in 07. Rick Martell, along with his old partner, Tony Gurria, are going to save Jimmy Snuka and Sergeant Slaughter from a post-match attack at the hands of Deuce and Domino. He wound up in the, uh, 2k 18 and 2k 19 video games, but seriously, we get so many questions about this. I'm just going to ask right now, why do you think Rick's not in the hall of fame? Do you think we'll ever see him in the hall of fame? I think we will. I definitely think we will. I think that, uh, Rick deserves to be in the hall of fame. He's had a hall of fame career and I believe that Rick will be in the hall of fame someday. AWA world champ, multiple time tag champ here in the company. And then of course the famous model gimmick, the arrogance. What do you think his legacy will really wind up being when it's all said and done? The quintessential baby face. Really? And yeah, I, I really do because Rick checked all the boxes as far as in a, in a territory as a promoter, what you would want as a baby face. I got to tell you, when I think of him, man, and maybe it's just the age difference. All I think about is the model and arrogance. I think that's his legacy, at least to me. Yeah. And I can see that for, for younger fans, just to me and looking at it from a business point of view, that he was a quintessential baby face that you could build your territory around. Well, we got tons of more great content coming your way. We do have some questions for Rick Martell. We're going to get to in just a moment. We'll try to get in as many as we can. Uh, the original plan was to do Rick Martell last week and this week today, we were supposed to be talking about captain Lou Albano, but since we didn't get to do Rick Martell last week, I called an audible. So captain Lou is on the shelf, at least for now, we're going to get to him sometime soon next week. It's going to be all about no mercy 2005. This was a big show. Uh, there's a lot to break down and get into. I think 2005 was a fascinating year for a lot of reasons. The main event here, uh, it's pretty special. It's Eddie Guerrero challenging Batista for the world title. We've also got Hooventude working with Nunzio, Bob Orton. That's right. Bob Orton teaming with Randy Orton to take on the undertaker JBL in there with Ray Mysterio, hardcore Holly with Mr. Kennedy. Booker T working with Chris Benoit. Of course, Christian's there in Orlando, Jordan. It's a fatal four way for the U S title. We've got Simon Dean. That's right. Simon Dean working with Bobby Lashley. And how about Eminem taking on the Legion of doom and Christy Hemi lots to unpack next week. No mercy. 2005. If you've got a question for us, you can ask it over at Pritchard show. Bruce, we got a ton of questions about the model. There's no way we can get to them all. Let's do a, a bunch here. Rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, Adam wants to know the WF magazine ran a story that says Martell retires. Was there genuine concern that he might not come back after the hiatus in 88? I don't think I no. I don't think there was. I think that was just something that they put in the magazine. No different than some of the after magazines to get people talking. Jesse writes years ago, I ran into someone who claimed to have inside information. And he told me that Rick Martell and Rick rude hated each other and got into a huge brawl backstage. Once he said they had to be kept apart backstage after that until rude left the company. Any truth to this? Never heard that. And ever. 
Kevin wants to know why was there no effort or creativity put into the never ending Tito versus Martel feud aside from the betrayal at WrestleMania five, aside from the former partner storyline, it didn't have as much story as the feuds with Jake Roberts, Tatanka, or even Shawn Michaels. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. You felt that way, Kevin. I thought it was a good story. Mr. Perfect wants to know, did you ever see the vignettes done in the AWA and other territories for Rick prior to him winning their top title? They were Rocky style training montages. And it was a, uh, as a master of these vignettes, what did you think of those when you saw them? They were, they were very stereotypical. I did see them. I, I did watch them and they were just, um, a very stereotypical way of building up your local baby face in the wrestling business at the time. And I don't think that they got into the character development vignettes that we did in WWE, like the million dollar man and Mr. Perfect and things of that nature. It was different. It was, it was the way the burn would have wanted to present his top baby face. Here's an in the weeds question. NS photos wants to know what was the reason for the outfit switches from baby blue to purple to pink back to baby blue. Did the office decide, or was it Rick's decision? And that's sort of interesting because sometimes we do hear that the office wants a different look one way or another. And then sometimes you say, no, they just wanted to, do you think these changes were something that creative services or Vince wanted, or is it something Rick just, it was just something that Rick did. And the baby blue was the look, Yeah, the baby blue was the model look. And that's what worked. I'm a little jealous that you know the difference between the two. The colorblind bastard. Chris wants to know, according to the rumor and innuendo, the plan was for the Can-Am connection to become the champs in the summer of 87, but those plans changed when Tom Zink left. Is this true? Were they in line for the championship? It is true. The, the, there was talk of them being the tag team champions after WrestleMania three. Nina wants to know how much of the model persona was the real Rick Martell and how much of it was just the assigned character. He genuinely seemed like he connected with the role. In my opinion, he did, but it was because it was so opposite of who he really was. It allowed Rick to get into a character and really be someone else. Thinking man sports wants to know, had Tom Zink not left the company, do you think the Can-Am connection would have had a more successful run than strike force. It's hard to, it's hard to tell because I, I didn't know Tom. I met him a few times, but I didn't really know Tom. I know Tito and I know Rick and I obviously they were a better tag team than Can-Am connection because they actually were able to see it to fruition. Ray, I, I, I don't know how to answer that one. Ray wants to know, how would you rank? Rick in your all-time greatest physiques in wrestling. Hmm. Come on. You used to answer these all the time. Top six. Oh, fucker. Eric wants to know why was Rick Martell never given a singles championship push in the company? You know, listen, I know that you probably get tired of that question a lot. Why did this guy not get this belt? Why did that guy not get that belt? I know what you're going to say. He didn't need it. But I do think when you go through the list of great wrestlers who held the intercontinental title, it starts to feel and sound like it was the quote unquote workers belt, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, 
Macho Man Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, so many great in-ring performers. It feels like Martel really checked all those boxes. By the time, you know, he was a singles competitor, had Vince sort of fallen out of love with him in that spot, or was it more about he just sort of didn't have the passion he once did, so let's not double down. No, it's just about timing. You know, I think had, had Martel been the champion instead of, let's say, Shawn Michaels, people said, well, why didn't they put the belt on Shawn Michaels then? He was ready. There's, It's just timing. And that's life. You, you, you That's the, the hand you're dealt. Uh, use any voice you want. Slizzard wants to know, if WWE Shop were to sell Arrogance Cologne, what might it smell like? Doo doo. <laughs> God damn. Bruce, it's uh probably the only one I can do right now. It's two AM. I appreciate you taking time to uh to join 3 us. Three AM where I am. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Listen, man, thanks for taking the time. Thank you everybody for checking out something to wrestle this week. We hope we did your man. Rick the model Martell justice. Anything else you want to close us with any yeah, final parting? I got, I got to say, man, that I sent you a text earlier today and, and just talking about, um, our fans, yep. our listeners, uh, they're the greatest in the world. Yep. And there are, there are times when I have not been able to, you know, for whatever reason you're traveling, I'm traveling. I've got a crazy schedule. Things happen and everything. Um, one constant is I think that we have the absolute greatest listeners in the world. And I so appreciate you guys. I really do. And I, 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 I'm thrilled just to know that, that you care enough to, to listen to us. And sometimes I'm the shits and I ramble and I, I will apologize to you for that, but it's not it's not intentional and I still go through this with a love of doing it. And it's unfortunately, uh, the only time I get to talk to Conrad a lot of times. <laughs> true. It, it really is. It really is. But I greatly appreciate all of you that listen, that take the time, uh, to download the show and listen to us. And we don't say it enough, but thank you. Thank you, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you're the you're the best, and don't ever think that we don't appreciate you because I, I do, and I know how much Conrad does, and I uh, look forward to doing it for a long time. So it's uh, it's just been great, and I I really appreciate it. We don't say it enough. We don't say it enough. We do appreciate your support, and. Uh... That's the reason we're recording this literally in the middle of the night. I mean, you're going to be on a plane in what? Four and a half hours. Um, yeah, less than that. Three and a half. I'm just saying that we, we care about this show. It's important to us and, uh, we're excited to get to bring it to you. We've got lots of fun stuff coming by the end of the year. I just real quick want to run down. We're doing another Saturday night's main event from 90 in your house Four, taboo Tuesday. Oh five King Kong Bundy, Eddie freaking Guerrero. It's 
Survivor Series 95 and 05. Andre the Giant is going to be snuck in there. Armageddon 05. Rey Mysterio Jr. In Your House 5. A No Holds Barred Watch Along. Survivor Series 91. We've got so much fun stuff coming your way. And we've got some big stuff planned for next year. I greatly appreciate all of your support. It means a lot to me and my family. It certainly means a lot to Bruce and his family. And, uh, Bruce, when I look at the clock, I realize it's about that time you go get a couple of winks before you have to wake up. So, uh, set your winky. Well, I'll tell you all fair, set your calendars, boys and girls. We're coming back to you next week with another pay-per-view from Oh five right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Love you guys. And Hey, shall not, uh, we're still thinking about you too. You bastard. Love you. So uh, how'd you lose your voice this week? Were you just yelling at people all week or what was the deal? Did a little yelling yesterday. Well, at least it wasn't me. I just, I fucking haven't stopped talking for uh, how many days. I'm going to let you stop talking for three hours and go take a nap. I'll do it. Rock on. See you buddy. Bye. Hey, you love the show, right? Show off that love with a shirt from BrucePritchard.com or get your gimmick at boxagimmicks.com, the official store of something to wrestle. Posters, hats, tumblers, accessories, and more. Boxagimmicks.com. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest free financing is available online too. And that's just the beginning gifts that say, I love you every single day backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to, I hate fast, free and safe shipping. Steven singer jewelers. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Good afternoon. Uh, is this Mr. Richmond? I've been telling you for a long time that save with Conrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Yes, it is. Hi, this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from save with Conrad. Hey, how are you? Doing good. My friend doing good. What made you go to save with Conrad in the first place? Just hearing the, the ads on the podcast. My wife and I were in a place where we thought, you know, let's see what we can do and, and check out different companies. And I said, well, I've got this one. So. I went on and, and the rest of the history, we, we loved it and we stuck with it and thankfully they stuck with us and, and it worked. That's wonderful. Was there something specific that Conrad said on the podcast that kind of helped you make that decision to give us a call or email us? Skip two payments and, and you know, he'll, he'll find you the lowest rates and, um, and it came at a great time. We actually did it a couple months before Christmas so we got to have no payments for December, January. So that helped out a lot with Christmas shopping. We've got a two-year-old daughter. so. 
Any money that we could have put towards her that we didn't have to put towards the house was a good thing. How was it working with Derek? Oh, he was great. Uh, sent him an email at like six o'clock at night and he almost immediately called us and we put him on speaker and we, we hashed out what we needed to hash out. It was just the constant availability was, was great. Do you have any suggestions on how we can improve as a team for any future people we were able to help out? Keep going how it's going. I, everything is going so well and I mean, you guys helped us out so much and, and saved us money and, and it just, it couldn't have come at a better time. So just keep up what you're doing and, and thank everybody for all their, their efforts in it. Do you remember how much money we were able to save you? Um, I think overall it ended up being about four or five grand just off the top. I mean, we, we had a credit card that we had run up and we should not have got it to the point that it was at. And we were able to roll that right in with the house payment. So our credit card right now is at zero, which is wonderful. Plus, then we got the two house payments. Plus, um, I think it ended up saving us like $2,500 extra on top of it. So it ended up being a, a significant hit of money to us. So it was it was definitely what we needed at the time. Now, would you recommend us to a friend or a coworker? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. That's wonderful to hear. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084 Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.